Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a micro-college in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head-on. Welcome to MicroCollege. Today, we are really thrilled to have a couple of guests from one of our closest peer microcolleges. In a lot of ways, it feels like our, our sibling school out there in the world started around the same time um, with a lot of sim similar inspirations um, and yet quite different locations and inspirations. I'm talking about Outer Coast, which is located in Sitka, Alaska. And today, our guests are Frank Ecker and Emily Druckmann. Frank Ecker is the college launch lead at Outer Coast in Sitka, Alaska, where he is charting a course to accreditation for the launch of Outer Coast College in the fall of 2024. Originally from a small town in Colorado, he has written on trout conservation and wilderness narratives in the Mountain West, patterns of college attendance in rural America, among other topics. He plans to pursue doctoral study in the history of experimental colleges and the relationship between general education and American democracy. And Emily Druckmann, is currently a second-year architecture student at Montana State University in Bozeman, Montana. She attended Outer Coast for the 2021-22 academic year program and returned to Sitka last summer as the dean's assistant working on Klingit translation and editing. Thank you so much for joining us, Emily and Frank. So glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you. So before we, we dig into your stories and to, to the wider story of Outer Coast, um, we are broadcasting, uh, recording this uh, on the 8th of November, and um, I wanted to mention that everyone listening out there, um, Thoreau College is, uh, we are currently accepting applications for our spring semester program, which begins in January. The deadline for that application is November 15th. Um, we're seeking a small cohort of just six participants for a semester-long deep dive into sustainable agriculture, expeditions, the arts, philosophy and literature here in Viroqua, Wisconsin. And I also know that Outer Coast is also accepting applications for your spring semester. Can you say something about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, and in the way that we are our sister schools, uh, Jacob, we are also also looking for students for our spring semester. Um, and our deadline uh, passed on November one, but we are uh, still accepting applications. If you are just hearing about us now, um, you can find the application uh, online at outercoast.org. Um, if you have any questions, you're free to reach out to me at frank at outercoast.org. Um, so that uh, similarly is a, is a spring semester program. Um, students uh, come to Sitka and take uh, courses for college credit um, and engage in service to the Sitka community alongside um, uh, self-governance responsibilities for their immediate uh, student and uh, student body community. So we'll talk more about all the things that Outer Coast is, but uh, yeah, that spring semester um, deadline has passed, but you're still welcome to apply if you're interested. Yeah, I should mention Thoreau College um, during the spring semester this year will also, for the first time, be able to off college, offer college credit through a new partnership with the University of Illinois in Chicago, which we're super excited about. So if you're, if you're listening to a micro-college podcast and you wondered, how do I get involved with one of these exciting things, you now have not only one, but two opportunities immediately. So go and apply to both of them, and we'll fight it out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think one, one of the things that, that uh, should be mentioned, we, we, uh, w 
here at Thoreau College and with the podcast and the microcollege movement, we, we really are about a movement and about a constellation of similar inspirations. And I think um, you know both Outer Coast and Thoreau College have a similar, one of our roots are in Deep Springs. Um, the director of Outer Coast is was a classmate of mine at Deep Springs, Bryden Sweeney Taylor. Um, and uh, I think I liked it the way in a recent article, um, Bryden stated that uh, Deep Springs for Outer Coast is the starting place, not the destination. And I think that's a term I might just steal because it's something similar here. We, we, there, Deep Springs is unique and, and inimitable in many ways, but a deep inspiration for what we're doing. And, 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 and we're also inspired by other sources and by our location. Um, but part of being a movement is we have had, uh, last year, one of our Metamorphosis Year students was an Outer Coast alum. And now this, this fall, one of the Outer Coast students spent last year with us too so we are exchanging students and uh and i think and cross-pollinating ideas in ways that are really exciting to me absolutely i think i think the among the many values we share jacob is, is the idea that in the in the local is the global and that in these really um immersive uh tight-knit contexts you can sort of um prepare yourself to be a member of so many different um communities uh um in the future so i'm yeah i think i think you're you're spot on there yeah, cool. So here, here on the podcast, we like to begin all of our conversations with uh, with people's biographies, and um, especially uh, check in on where you were at this sort of early phase of of your of your lives. Um, uh, and so, Frank, I mean, we read a little bit about your biography, but maybe you could think back a few years to when you were you were eighteen years old. Where were you, eighteen to nineteen years old, and what what were you doing? Where were you, and what was what was uh, what was great about that time, and what was what was frustrating about that time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I I grew up as I mentioned in a in a small town in Southwest Colorado. Um, uh, the son of two uh, professional fly fishermen, actually. Uh, my, my parents ran a fly shop in, uh, in Denver, Colorado for a long time. Um, and I was uh, very, very fortunate to, to get a nearly full financial aid offer to go to Yale um, for my undergraduate study. Um, and have all sorts of uh, complicated feelings about my time at Yale, I think particularly as an 18 and 19 year old. Um, coming from uh, the background that I did in small town Colorado, I. I had these really uh, conflicting beliefs about what my education was for that would sort of tear themselves apart in, in my early undergraduate years. So I, in one sense, really believed in the value of a liberal education and a really expansive view of what that could mean. And so was in uh, an intensive humanities program at Yale called Directed Studies, uh, trying to sort of tease that out. But um, that experience in directed studies felt so heady and so divorced from my actual kind of lived reality in college, um, which was, was pretty fraught, um, not feeling like I had the tools to navigate um, the kind of social and cultural environment of, you know, of a big city for the first time, let alone of such a like elite and inward facing institution that, that Yale was for me in my undergrad years. So um, yeah, I had a hard time um, and it took me a long time to kind of stumble my way into uh, academic study that really felt fulfilling to me, um, and that was really rooted in in place and landscape um, and uh, and in the kind of higher order ideas of what a, a liberal education could could be, which is what ultimately led me to, to Sitka, but at least at, at age 18, when I was really, really struggling, I would like go on the Deep Springs website and be like, ah, like, what if I, what if I transferred, uh, and then I, and then I never actually followed through. So. Did you know about Deep Springs before you went to Yale, or is that something you encountered there? 
I I had heard of it. Um, there was an, an alum of Deep Springs that I was put in contact with uh, when I was applying to college, and it sounded sort of it sounded interesting, but it sounded just too far off the path for me to seriously consider at that mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, great, thank you. So Emily, you you're in the thick of things. You're you're in the age frame here, um, and I really appreciate the opportunity to have a student's perspective, and and you also can talk about you know a couple different ways of being engaged with the micro college project. But maybe yeah, take us back you know, a couple of years now, like where, how, how did you, how did you find yourself interested in Outer Coast and, and, uh, and what drew you to that? Yeah. Um, my background isn't, isn't one I share with many. So finding it in common with Frank and Sika, I think was really astounding. Um, I also come from a very rural Southwest, um, Montana town, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and my father was a, uh, he was a graphite and bamboo fly rod engineer. Um, but yeah, in terms of like finding education for myself, it, it sort of felt like a shapeless situation. Um, there were all of these opportunities for sort of directing intelligence creatively, but there it didn't really feel like there was sort of an, an outlet for um, where I wanted where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. And honestly, I had no idea what that was. I, I spent one very yeah hapless semester at uh, Westminster College in uh, Salt Lake City, um, and then scurried back to Montana. And um, yeah, I've been studying architecture here ever since. And when I I've been most recently calling it my sabbatical in Alaska. Um, <laughs> when I went outer coast, I was looking for I was looking for education that sort of that didn't require so much consumptive effort on my part. I felt like I was sort of being put through a system in order to regurgitate a lot of information that I that I didn't necessarily understand. Um, and taking the time in Alaska to actually slow down and to actually think about what my education meant to me and, and what it meant to the people around me and figuring out ways to connect with people who were there for the same reasons and were there for very different reasons, I think, yeah, it was a, I'm, I mean, has transformed my life in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. The, the, the small town background is is certainly rare enough in American culture and in higher education. And uh, I think um, I was lucky enough a few years ago to sit in on a focus group at Stanford, um, which was conducted by the university. Um, it was essentially a focus group for Stanford uh, students from rural places which they defined as anywhere with fewer than 25,000 people, which was sort of funny to begin with. But um, there was a group of people who really, they identified each other as being, wow, we actually have shared experiences. They hadn't recognized each other as a group before that. Um, it was it was fascinating to sit in on it as a person who really shared some of that experience myself growing up in small town here in Wisconsin. So, and and uh, yeah, Sitka, I think, you know, one of the, the key things about these micro colleges, uh, uh, at least is my understanding of them, is they are place-based. They're located in, in, in specific places. They're, they're in touch with that locality in a unique way. And so tell us a little bit about Sitka. What kind of a place is that? Yeah, I mean, Sitka is, is uh, I feel like the, the word that I used most often to describe Sitka when I first moved here was just magical. I felt like this real sense of, of reverence um, when I first moved to Sitka and, and still feel that now. Um, it's a it's a small community of about 9,000 folks in Southeast Alaska. Um, it is on situated on the, the outer coast of, of Baranoff Island, or, or she as it's called in Tlingit. Um And uh, yeah, I think Sitka is, um, so much of, of outer coast success is related to the community of, of Sitka and the ways in which 
Um, as a student at Outer Coast, you have these sort of concentric circles of community and that like your student and staff community is sort of um, provides avenues with which to engage more deeply in the place around you. And rather than taking this sort of uh, monastic approach of, of Deep Springs or a, a kind of more isolated idea of what a micro college could be, um, that really it's, it's about learning how to develop longstanding and meaningful relationships with the community and that we're thinking about that institutionally, but then also providing avenues for students to figure out how to navigate that um, themselves. Um, and so I, mean, I know Emily has uh, a lot to share there too about um, kind of your personal journey in, in developing those relationships with the local community by way of language and service and um, and all the, the friendships that um, that one can build here. So, Emily, would you have something to add to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first impression of Sitka is always sort of magical. Um, it's it has the shortest runway in the U.S. Uh, for flights, and so no matter when you land, it, it's sort of abrupt, and then you're just you're just there all of a sudden, um, and you're just on the Rocky Gutierrez tarmac, and you're just sort of surrounded by this incredible landscape and this bizarre community of people who are either there like very intentionally or have just sort of like ended up in Sitka. Um, and I, I mean, I, I at least think for my, my first semester there, I think we had a harder time than my second semester. I think just because we didn't know how necessarily to break those concentric rings into um, like interactable pieces. I think we felt like that con concentricity felt more insulated than anything. Um, and then I think in the second semester, I think what we really experienced that was so transformative was it, getting to engage with the Tlingit language and then in turn being able to engage with the land because they, we then had these verbal reference for the place that we were. We were able to really place where we were in context with everything around us and that concentricity became much more much more holding than, than any sort of insulative or suffocating feeling. Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, just to say that I think um, the pandemic has made the project of uh, uh, of kind of community relationships really, really challenging, and um, and we were really lucky to be one of the few programs running something in person during the heart of the pandemic. But that also, I think, um, yeah, really, really hampered the kinds of relationships that, that students could build with the community and. Emily, yeah, I was really there kind of on the cusp of our, like, reopening to, to Sitka, um, and things have been, yeah, have felt quite different since then. Yeah, so my understanding of, of the origin story of Outer Coast, I mean, part of it is Deep Springs, but other part, it really comes from Sitka. So I've got a chance to meet Jonathan Christ Tompkins, who's a local legislator there, um, and, and I mean, I, I, my understanding is that the story starts with him uh, in the sense of, 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 of starting a college there. You, how would you tell that story? Yeah, totally. Um, right. So half of that of that story, by way of Jonathan, is his uh, real appreciation for the for Deep Springs and for um, the kinds of thinking that he um, that Deep Springs kind of fosters and that he saw in his classmates at Yale, where he um, went for undergrad. Um, and yeah, the other half of that story really is Sitka and meeting a particular need in this community, um, which has everything to do with the, the Sheldon Jackson campus um, and the Sheldon Jackson, um, Sheldon Jackson campus has a really um, complex and difficult history. It, was a, it has been an Alaska Native boarding school. It has also been um, 
a, a community college and then um, a four-year college most recently before it went bankrupt in 2007. Um, and so it has both been a place of, of cultural genocide, but has also fostered um, the birth of the Alaska Native Brotherhood and Alaska Native Sisterhood, which was um, the, the first uh, um, Native civil rights movement in the country um, and has, uh, yeah, been this real, um, uh, really incredible place to foster um, Indigenous thought. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so after it went bankrupt in 2007, Sika um, really lost this community staple it lost uh it lost its college um and the campus just sort of sat dormant for four years um moldered in the rain um for a long time until eventually it was uh it was um sold or donated really to uh um, an organization called alaska arts southeast um which then uh essentially took on the uh the volunteer burden of restoring the campus to um uh, to functionality and then actually being able to, to start using it for, um, for programming again. So um, the uh, primary organization within Alaska Arts Southeast is the Sitka Fine Arts Camp. So Sitka Fine Arts Camp has been around um, for a long time um, and has been housed uh, on the Sheldon Jackson campus as well as the Mount Edgecombe High School campus here in Sitka. Um, and they really led uh, what some have called the largest volunteer effort in Alaska history, which I think is probably true, um, to take on the millions of dollars of deferred maintenance to to bring the campus um, back into shape. Um, and so, uh, of course, this Sika Fine Arts Camp is a summer program. And so uh, um, when Jonathan was sort of first uh, mulling over this idea, um, really the need was was for academic year programming on campus to, to bring college students back here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that was the vision. It was like there, there's uh, the buildings and, and the campus and uh, this real need in the Sika community for that, um, the kind of vibrancy of, of a college community. And then this um, particular model at Deep Springs, which encouraged, um, you know, embodied practice and student agency uh, and the real chance to kind of marry those, those two interests. And in particular, um, to uh, to see the Sheldon Jackson campus as a place to um, to foster in, to foster indigenous language and and culture um, and to kind of reclaim that um, in its in its history after um, you know so many tumultuous years and and really um, really harmful years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that the commitment and engagement with with indigenous cultures and languages really stands out as part of the distinctive part of. Coast presentation to the world um, and I think that watching the development of the project there it really is is very impressive um, so uh, teaching of indigenous languages is incorporated into into the programs and you're also as I understand doing this you're offering several different languages through a, a, an online course is that right yeah actually that's the other um, that's another good thing to, to advertise here is that um, today is actually the beginning of our uh, smogyak MOOC which is uh, um, there is Three major uh, languages, uh, indigenous languages in Southeast: um, Smogyak, Khadkil, and Tlingit. Um, so today is the beginning of the um, Smogyak MOOC, and then we'll be offering Tlingit and Khadkil uh, later in in the winter. Um, and so you can find information about all of those MOOCs if you'd like to sign up. Um, uh, you can you don't have to have any uh, background in the language uh, to join and be a part of the community. Um, so if you go to our website, you can um, learn more about those language classes and sign up. And if you want to make a pitch to someone, like, why would they do that? Like, what's, what is, you know, a, a language that, that's a very small population based? Like, why, why dive into one of these, these indigenous languages? 
Yeah, that might be a good a good question for you, Emily. I think, at, at least for myself, uh, I think having a chance to approach language with such a high degree of intentionality is, is I think, just so opening and welcoming to notions of community that I feel like are, are otherwise more difficult to approach. Um, uh, I, I think having a, a really directed response towards something that's happening in the world um, and towards these like highly endangered languages and taking a chance to um, make it playful and make it fun and make it a, a thing to, to learn about to, to make these languages um, as alive as they are um, and make that clear to the world, I think is, I think it's just such an important thing to be a part of. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it, it's just so, it's such a good practice in openness, um, just coming at it and having no background and not having a whole lot of context and just being willing to, being willing to play in the space with everybody else who's so dedicated to the thing. Yeah, it's it's really it's impressive to me. I mean, an important text for us here at Thoreau College has been Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass, um, who's writing out of the Potawatomi, you know, and and speaking also about different indigenous traditions. And you know, she speaks so movingly about about language and about you know what what is contained in knowledge about a place or about the the plants and animals of a place in the language not only the vocabulary but in the grammar and so forth of, of, of a language that you know, if, if, if we only have a handful of languages being used in the world we've lost a lot of knowledge actually we've lost a lot of ways and tools of thinking about things yeah absolutely um, yeah if you, if you attend some of these classes you can learn about the, the endless complexities of the slinget verb structure which uh, <laughs> as soon as anybody goes to tell you anything about it they'll say you're not going to understand any of this, but, and then they'll try to sort of pick <laughs> apart uh, the many, many complex features of the verb. And yeah, it, it adds these these layers and layers of, of meaning and really like lenses with, with which to understand the world. Um, and so I think that um, that is a huge benefit. And also like Emily was alluding to, like um, it's, you can't learn the Tlinga language by sitting down with a book and just like pouring over it. You really, it requires a kind of community engagement and a kind of openness um, and respect for for elders and culture bearers. And it is a, yeah, it's a way of kind of entering into the exchanging of gifts and uh, the, the rich um, kind of tradition that is um, a part of learning the language. And, and how, how have you gone about bringing that, you know, both the language and other aspects of indigenous culture into into your courses and curriculum? And do you, you have local partner organizations or particular um, tribal groups? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, so this is um, this has probably been the most distinct shift in our um, kind of mission and, and academic programming over the past over the past year. Um, has been uh, that we hired our first academic dean, who's, uh, his name is Matthew Spellberg. Um, and Matthew um, has his PhD in comparative literature, uh, but is, a, is really focused on indigenous languages and culture um, and has been a student of Tlingit for, um, for five plus years now and has spent a lot of time in Southeast Alaska and um, has been like a real model for students and for us as faculty about sort of how to engage in, um, how to be a, a respectful learner and how to bring others into that learning process. Um, and so through his work and his relationships with, um, with the local tribe and communities throughout Southeast 
um, different indigenous language scholars um, and culture bearers. We've really put indigenous studies at the center of the academic curriculum. So, so literally everybody at Outer Coast takes um, an indigenous studies course um, and that meets uh, five times throughout the week. Um, one day is focused on Tlingit language. Uh, two days are focused on um, works of indigenous oral literature. Um, and so you would you sit there, you sit down and, and read them as you would, you know, reading the Odyssey in a, uh, a typical core curriculum class. Um, you you are uh, reading oral literature and and analyzing and thinking about kind of how um, how the language itself unlocks these worlds of meanings that we're that we're describing. Um, and then uh, they meet the students meet once a week with uh, Yedi Kuk Ah, who um, is a uh, um, a longtime teacher in, in Sitka um, of language and dance um, who uh, speaks more on the kind of um, uh, history and, and uh, political history of uh, Alaska Native um, groups. And then uh, lastly, uh, students uh, engage in storytelling of their own. So they actually, um, once a week, uh, um, different students will have to, to deliver uh, six to eight minutes of, of oratory um, on different uh, different subjects related to place or culture or communication itself to um, kind of synthesize uh, everything else that's happening into an actual kind of narrative that they're um, giving to the community. And um, students tell stories, staff also tell stories. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's been really incredible to watch that kind of curriculum develop. So this is our our first version of this this semester really and, and we're excited to um to see how that goes from here thoreau college is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro colleges thoreau college higher education for the whole human being we you've talked a bit about the online the mooc course with the the three different native languages um and yeah, maybe you could talk about the evolution of the programming. Like Thoreau College, Outer Coast has come into existence during this crazy period of the pandemic and in the landscape of a lot of change and disruption in higher education, you know, building things uh, as, as we figure them out and uh, trial and error. Um, so you know, we here have done, we've done three-week summer programs. We've done semester programs. We've done year-long programs. We've done uh, things that are essentially classes that meet once or twice a week with local members of the community. Um, can you talk about some of the some of the things that you've done, and 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 you know, and also where you're where you're headed next in terms of what is your your kind of ultimate kind of design goals as a, a for programming? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll probably talk most about the academic pillar, but um, can maybe get into some other aspects of the program too, but. Um, so we started, uh, well, initially the vision was to, to open a two-year college right off the bat. Um, Jonathan and a group of collaborators sat down and wrote this uh, amazing, fantastical document called the Outer Coast College Blueprint, um, which is, is fun to read. It talks about uh, the glaciology program and raising ducks and other other things like that that maybe we'll get the chance to, to come back to in the, the opening of the college. But um, yeah, um, after, um, after some time, uh, the team felt that it would make more sense strategically to start with smaller programs to develop administrative structures and a sense of the curriculum um, and then to work stepwise uh, towards longer and longer programs. Um, I think, yeah, somewhat similar to what you all have, have done at Thoreau. So we, um, we began with a summer seminar in 2018, um, which we ran uh, um, in 2018 and 2019, um, went virtual in 2020, 
and then um, and then opened the Outer Coast Year program uh, in the fall of 2020, and so are now running basically these two programs, um, the Outer Coast Year program in the fall and spring, and the summer seminar in the summer. Um, and academically, the the pitch originally was sort of uh, we just want to to host the uh, the most kind of neuron bending exciting courses that we can at Outer Coast. And it's really like, we'll bring anybody here that we feel like is excited about the mission and has a course proposal that we're excited about. And so it was um, kind of big open calls for proposals and um, and, uh, and sort of the, the best proposal win, wins in our um, uh, thinking of, of the summer seminar. Um, and then slowly we've been moving more and more towards trying to fit a particular kind of curricular framework um, kind of guided by um, some of the the core collaborators we we built uh, or collaboration relationships we built with um, different faculty we've had um, and and things like that. So um, yeah, in the present moment, I think we really are understanding the summer seminar as um, you know still just as expansively, but I think with a particular focus on like why college. So the summer seminar is for These are high rising school high students. school juniors and seniors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, and they're. Um, many of them are preparing to navigate the college admissions process, and the hope is to both provide them the, the tools to, to um, find, match, and fit colleges that are um, going to be right for them, but also to encourage this kind of more fundamental question about, like, what is college for, and no matter where I go, how can I make the most of that experience? Um, and so I think that's really become a big hallmark of the summer. Um, and for the year, the year is really sort of, uh, has been kind of the, proving ground for the college in terms of building these core curricular components around indigenous studies, um, but also um, finding STEM faculty and thinking about what STEM education looks like in the context of, um, of Outer Coast with our um, you know, proximity to uh, the lands and waters um, of, of Sitka and all of the amazing research going on at the Science Center and uh, Sitka Sound Science Center and, and places like that. Um, so in this moment, we are really uh, tinkering towards the, the two-year curriculum, and so that involves um, hiring a, a core slate of faculty, um, uh, which is uh, sort of built around our dean, Matthew Spielberg, um, and then uh, in hiring those faculty, thinking about sort of the, the disciplinary balance of those core faculty, and then kind of fleshing out the associate's degree um, from there. So those are the conversations that we're, that we're having right now and really lucky to have had such an amazing slate of faculty alums that are um, helping us to think about, about what that will look like. So right now the, the timeline is, is, as I understand it, to, to start to have admissions for a two-year cohort starting in 2024? Yeah, exactly. So um, right now we're uh, navigating um, this process called substantive change um, by which uh, we would become uh, a branch campus of an existing institution, um, University of Alaska Southeast, um, which would allow us to uh, open our doors as a two-year college in fall of 2024 um, under the auspices of UAS, and then to actually move towards independent accreditation after that. But for anyone interested in, in coming to Outer Coast, uh, yes, you're, uh, the first term that you could enter would be fall of 2024. And, um, uh, we hope to be able to actually open that application um, in in early 2024, if not earlier than that. But yeah. And and what at that point is your target size? How many students would you hope to have at that moment? Yeah. So the target size is is uh, 15 to 20 students per year for um, with uh, two 
two-year cohorts. Um, so, uh, so 15 to 20 uh, incoming first years, and then another 15 to 20 um, in the year after that for a, a total size of um, 30 to 40, which seems to be sort of the steady state for a lot of these uh, micro-college institutions. Um, and uh, yeah, that just feels appropriate for kind of the project and uh, how we imagine the community operating. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. That's really exciting progress to, to follow. We're really rooting for, for all of our peers out there. So, um, yeah, so you mentioned the three pillars there, and this is something that uh, is part of the Deep Springs heritage. Um, and, you know, I wondered, we, we've talked with Sue Darlington um, a few months back, at, who's the president of Deep Springs. And um, here at the row, we've, we've kind of evolved into a five pillar description of what we're doing. Um, but I wonder if maybe if you could take a moment to describe those pieces. You've talked a bit about the academic component, but the other two are self-governance and then labor and service in your formulation. Can you talk about those two? And, and maybe, um, Emily, maybe you could start by talking about the self-governance component, having participated in it. Yeah, um, during the year program, the self-governance aspect of of the experience is a lot of just figuring out how to get people in the right spaces at the right time. And a lot of that is just committing to really figuring out how people meet one another and figuring out how to actually run meetings. Um, and, you know, I, like I came in for, you know, the second year that Outer Coast had been had, running a year program. Um, there's not a lot of blueprint. And it's basically just figuring out how to get people heard and come up with creative solutions, sort of like on the fly. Um, and a lot of that just looks like, uh, you know, that's very similar to the, from what I understand, of the Deep Springs model of just having uh, frequent student body meetings, figuring out chores, allotting out uh, responsibilities, and then figuring out, um, figuring out schedules for everybody. Um, and in particular, uh, during my time, part of self-governance is figuring out how to get everybody in the same place um, while everybody has individual schedules. Um, and uh, I also sat as the student co-chair of the curriculum committee. And so that eventually, um, you know, uh, participation and stuff like that as a student eventually leads into things like figuring out what the best schedule for, for Outer Coast is or asking questions like, you know, where, what is the ideal Outer Coast student and what does the schedule for that look like? Like, what do we want to actually be doing? And, and did you, what did you find valuable about this this experience, or and is it is it something you carry with you today? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I'm I think I'm much more pro conflict now. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think we really learned that you just cannot step on people's toes uh, gently uh, when you're trying to to get things done in a very in a very crunch time frame. Um, and I just learning just learning how to approach people in the moment and not have to go consult with five other people in order to in order to get things done. Um, and I think now what I'm realizing uh, is that the people that I was surrounded with were just like this, you know, people end up at alternative education models because you know they're they're usually creative and, and thinking in, in unique ways. And I was surrounded by people who were thinking in creative ways about how to how to meet people and how to make community. And that's something I'm especially missing now. 
Um, I don't doubt that they're around me. I just I just have fewer structures to do it. And in some ways, the flexibility of of Outer Coast was was really nice for learning those skills and, and sort of honing ways um, honing ways to interact with other people in, in productive and sometimes intentionally unproductive ways. Back at a mainstream institution there, or do you find yourself stepping into leadership positions more often than you would have before, do you think, or you know, picking up kind of those, those roles? Not necessarily. I feel much more comfortable um, sort of going out, on, going out alone on things. Um, I feel much more comfortable um, sort of going with my gut on things. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm in much larger classes. So uh, ironically, there there aren't a lot of leadership opportunities that I felt in the classroom. Um, but on my own, I I felt much like I felt much more flexible when it comes to uh, pursuing my interests. I feel like I don't need someone to host my interest in order for it to happen. Um, I've become a huge fan of flyers and just putting out putting out events that I that I want to happen. I did like a clothing swap the other week. I did an impromptu soup club. Um, and I, I don't think I could have done any of that without um, like all of the people that were in my cohort with me together. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, an initiator, a, uh, a social entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's a quality yeah. Yeah, that I observe in our our alums and and certainly Deep Springers and and I think that 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 ability to to go out on a limb, whether it's in a group or on your own, is certainly it's it's a, it's it's one of the outcomes that that I appreciate out of this type of education. Yeah, yeah and I think one of the unique challenges and opportunities of the Outer Coast Year program is just that uh, there are no second years, uh, and in many ways faculty sort of has to act as the as the second years in terms of passing passing traditions from one cohort to the next mm-hmm. and so um i think this can feel intimidating um for for new students walking in in the fall it's just like it can feel like a blank slate because there isn't someone there kind of walking you through like this is how to be a member of, of the student body and so that's something that we're trying to think about um in in this next iteration of the year program um but also it provides this just like amazing vista for folks like you, Emily, and your cohort mates to just like make things up and the kind of um, vibrance of, of a lot of that um, creativity as well. So I know that that's a, a hard thing to do, but um, really amazing when it works. Yeah, yeah and it, it, um, I think it was a really amazing transition to see, you know, I had the opportunity of being there for the full year and the summer um, and seeing the way self-governance operates um, among like a younger student body and especially as somebody who was there you know I wasn't originally uh, supposed to be working much with the students but I sort of ended up uh, spending a lot of time just just with them talking about like how hard SD meetings were and, and in particular we, we swam a lot in the ocean and I, I think it was really amazing just realizing I like I would I would say things and then I would realize how quickly they would turn into reality and I, I <laughs> sort of sort of had to reconcile with like okay like the things I I say these people are taking very seriously like I need to know what to say in these moments um, and it was but getting to see like very small moments that I didn't think much of come into moments like storytelling or um, or just you know, someone who hadn't swam all summer finally being able to jump into the water, just, it's, it's really amazing to see, you know, during the year, I think it could be a longer process and it's sort of a different kind of investment. 
in the summer it was just it was just so much energy it was really incredible to see yeah it sounds like you got a little bit of a second year experience just in the summer there as well and certainly from from deep springs that's a really important part of the cycle right to 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 be the person who welcomes the the new group who who passes on the traditions who teaches the basic skills and you know and then has a chance to reevaluate them too is is certainly part of the learning that's kind of praxis iterative process of of, of learning something in 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 the field so yeah we're trying to figure out a way to adopt a, an oc cowboy yeah <laughs> right so that that points to the labor and service pillar um can you what what does that look like at outer coast yeah. So, um, so at Outer Coast, right. So rather than uh, a labor pillar, um, the, the pillar is, is both service and labor. And so, um, it's difficult to kind of splice like what counts as, as service, what counts as labor. Um, but in general, it involves sort of our, uh, responsibilities to each other and responsibilities to the community of, of Sitka. And so, um, in the year program in particular, that involves, uh, essentially students going out and, and forming relationships, um, service relationships with different um, community partners. And some of those are a little bit uh, sort of prefigured by um, by staff because of the kinds of relationships that we're helping to pass on from year to year. So we consistently have students volunteering down at the Sitka Sound Science Center or with KCAW Raven Radio, um, which is very near and dear to my heart. Um, but there are all sorts of other opportunities that come up that sort of, uh, um, I think, bridge uh, service with what's happening in the classroom and sort of the community's whole sense of itself. And so um, a particular example there that I want to name is this amazing, amazing conference called Sharing Our Knowledge, um, which happens uh, every two years in uh, different communities in Southeast Alaska. Um, it's, uh, it's also just called the Clan Conference, um, and it's uh, it's this uh, convening of indigenous uh, cultures and scholars. Um, it's like vaguely like an academic conference, but so different in, in so <laughs> many ways. And um, and so uh, this year um, we had the real privilege of uh, being able to be the main volunteer organization supporting sharing our knowledge um, in uh, in Wrangell, which is a um, even smaller uh, community here in Southeast Alaska. Um, and uh, we all got to, to fly to Wrangell together, students and faculty, um, and uh, got to basically help to put on this conference and, uh, you know, uh, get food for elders and uh, man the doors and um, uh, do language learning, uh, sing a language learning in um, the local schools in Wrangell. Uh, and it was just this kind of amazing, the whole, the whole Outer Coast community was moving together and moving among um, all the amazing people we got to meet. Um, in Wrangell. And so I feel like that has sort of unlocked um, a really bigger idea of what service can mean at, at Outer Coast, not, um, you know, checking off a certain number of hours every week because you're supposed to as like a programmatic component, but like actually understanding that as essential to your relationships to each other and to the communities that we're a part of. So, um, I mean, we've, we've mentioned this before, but I feel like language unlocked all of that and uh oh. we've really seen that come to fruition in the past couple of months cool emily yeah. is there something that stands out from your the service or labor components of your time there yeah i mean uh like personally i i struggled a little bit with like picking up a service relationship i think i just i struggled so much with time management and i really was thinking about service and labor in this very traditional way of like okay i need to um, show up at, the, at this time and be reliable and, and be invested in it and simultaneously, you know, you're not, you know, you don't have a lot of external motivators. And I do think that 
language learning really unlocked that um, in uh, to drop another name, the Slang and Language Conference of the past spring. Um, we first got to host, um, yeah, when we got to host these elders in the spring, um, we uh, we prepared uh, herring eggs, uh, and they we had been gifted several boughs um, of hemlock, which had had herring eggs uh, laid on them, but we didn't know that uh, they had moss in them. And what that meant is that before they could be, of course, gifted or eaten, they had to be gone through individually and uh, the strands of moss had to be picked out completely and there's like seaweed all mixed in and um, for a good portion of it, we did it on the docks, uh, you know, in like in like cold sea wind before we thought to ever move it inside. Um, but I just remember at one moment, uh, someone came up while we were on the docks and said, "Oh, you know, you know, you don't really have to pick through these that much. You know, if there's if there's seaweed or whatever, you could probably just throw them over, throw them over the docks, and then uh, everybody's." chest sort of puffed up and everybody's head got a little higher and you know we were sort of talking about potentially going home soon everyone was complaining about their fingers getting cold and we were there for another like six hours after that or something ridiculous <laughs> just everybody was everybody was so intent on on hosting and there there is that degree of, of selflessness but also like a great involvement of of personal investment into a project um I don't even know how to explain it, um, but we basically just got to have a bunch of Slinga elders come and visit in Sitka and just, they just brought this incredible gift giving spirit with them. Mm -hmm. And before they even arrived, everybody was just so possessed by this idea of like being good hosts. And I watched everybody, you know, like I think it is very normal and healthy to like gripe and moan about uh, having to do service or labor or preparation for hosting and nobody was saying a word. Everybody was just so excited. And I, I think when you finally get to a point where you're not thinking about it cumulatively, you're just, or you're not thinking about sort of hours, hours completed or, or, or what exactly it is you're working towards. You're just, you're just sort of in, uh, yeah, in movement with people is I think a really, a really amazing moment. Micro College is recorded in the broadcast studios of WDRT Viroqua, 91.9 FM, Driftless Community Radio, on Main Street in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks to Jim and all the folks at WDRT for the support of Thoreau College and the Micro College podcast. I wanted to ask you about, um, so in, in doing this podcast and, and you know looking at institutions, organizations, projects that we see as, as related or peers, I'm um, started to develop kind of a definition of, of microcolleges, as, as I understand it, as, as with Thoreau College is using this term. Um, and we've touched on on most most of these elements already. Basically, there's there's four kind of key elements that 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 I'm identifying. One is these institutions tend to be place-based, right? They have a strong connection to a particular place and its history and its ecology. Obviously, uh, Outer Coast has this very strong, is a very strong part of its identity. Um, it is humanly scaled, so micro scale, right? And, and obviously has embodied this there as well. Um, it has a curriculum which is holistic. It is a, a curriculum for the whole human being. It's not just academics. It also involves 
community, self-governance, has involves engagement through through labor or service in some way with, with the world. Um, and then I guess the fourth pillar, as I'm still looking for the right term for it, but maybe you can help with this, but it is, I would say, it contains, the term I'm using right now is meaning-centered, right? Um, it is in some ways connected with, you could say, spirituality, meaning, purpose, kind of inner development of, of, of the students. And I think one of the things that if you go to your website, uh, Outer Coast, right away, the, one of the biggest words there is virtue can be inspired. And so virtue is a rich word, a lot of history. And so when you use that term, virtue can be inspired, what do you mean by virtue in that context? And, and what is that, that assertion? What do you understand? What do you mean by that when you say that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is something that um, we hope to be sort of in conversation about all the time in developing Outer Coast. Um, and so, uh, well, I guess I, this isn't to dodge the question of virtue, but just to focus um, on the question of meaning first, which I think is something that, that uh, I think is, um, is spot on, is that I think what we're trying to do is to uh, give people the tools to make meaning of the world and to give people essentially um, multiple traditions, multiple ways of thinking with which to then make meaning in different ways and then kind of compare those different ways of understanding the world to do that by, yeah, reading a work of Klingon oral literature, but also uh, reading, uh, you know, works of the Western canon and being able to understand those traditions as in conversation with each other um, in, a, in a meaningful way. And so I think that, um, that I think is one half of what we're trying to do, the kind of building meaning through critical and creative thinking. And then the other half I think is, um, gets to, to the virtue, um, virtuous change aspect that you're describing, Jacob, which is um, sort of uh, taking those models of understanding the world and using them to actually then reshape the world um, as uh, uh, for, the, for the better. Um, and so being able to actually communicate that meaning um, those those worlds of meaning to others and be able to collaborate with others in actually um, reshaping the world for the better. And so the idea of kind of what we imagine an outer coast student is being able to do is um, is uh, not necessarily to always be the leader or always be the one on the stage, but to be someone who can can walk into a room and assess what's going on and sort of uh, be able to then do something to to make that make that place better or to um, sort of help others to to reach a shared goal. Um, and so that particular idea of, of virtue in itself, I think, um, will shift and grow. But I think the, that idea that students are able to um, affect change both in their own lives um, and in their sense of themselves, but also in the world, I think is really core to what we're trying to do. Um, and I think uh, just as an epilogue to that point is I think that at Outer Coast, we understand sort of uh, that sort of internal sense of agency and the external sense of the ability to affect change as um, in dialogue with each other and that you don't develop the self so that you can then go change the world, uh, but that you actually um, are already have obligations to others and the world and that um, in learning how to meet those uh, with, with care and respect that you are then in turn um, developing your, yourself as well. Um, so I think that's I think that's core to what we're trying to do. Yeah, virtuous loop, you might say, a virtuous uh, re feedback cycle <laughs> between yeah, the world exactly. and the self. Yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah, service can take so many different forms, and uh, and I think for me, like the engagement with the the concrete, like the the, the material of the world. So those 
those herring eggs and the moss and the, and the sea like that's that's a piece that is definitely missing at most campuses <laughs> right that's that that is distinctive of this of this holistic kind of deep springs inspired and you know just the holistic education that we're we're both engaged in so um yeah i think we're coming close to the end of our our hour here and um i guess it's my last question is and i think i know that you're thinking a lot about this as we are right now is who who is this education for when you imagine your like future students those you know 15 or 20 people who come and and, and be there in this in the fall of 2024 who are they where are they coming from and what's motivating why 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 are they choosing to do this as opposed to to anything else they could be doing with their time and their education yeah i think the first thing that comes to mind is i think uh the most incredible thing about getting to meet the folks that i did at my cohort is the shared openness um of everybody in attendance um i think people just had an orientation towards uh towards creativity in this way that people were willing to be part of whatever environment they were in. Um, and I think that's the most exciting thing about, about Outer Coast and about the folks who end up, end up being there. Um, yeah, I think the outer, ideal Outer Coast student is someone who is uh, relentlessly curious about the world and their place in it. Um, and that that can take a lot of different forms, but um, that they sort of understand understand their own education as as sort of an orientation to the world and not just uh, to a set of facts to memorize or um, a kind of particular um, professional goal to aim for, but um, to understand um, kind of the, the heart of, of a liberal education, particularly in the transition from high school into whatever comes next, as this real opportunity to engage with some of the real fundamental questions of meaning making that um, are important not just to um, develop a career but to develop as a as a person as a human being um and so that's like the biggest picture view of it um but on a more kind of specific institutional view we really want outer coast to be um accessible first to alaskans and to um uh to students from from rural alaska and alaska native students students for whom uh we really want their perspectives at the table and want those students to to not feel like they have to kind of check that idea identity at the door in in um, in pursuing higher education and to be able to um, provide pathways to higher education um, both to, to attend uh, institution, other institutions of higher education but also to persist and succeed at those institutions um, but that we want to be uh, um, open and available to students from all sorts of, of different backgrounds and so our our target has always been um, to have half of the cohort at least be um, from Alaska, but to, um, but to accept students from from everywhere. Um, anybody who kind of is aligned with some of those values and and um, curiosities about about the world and their place in it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Part of that accessibility clearly is financial, and maybe you could just say a little bit of how you've approached that there at Outer Coast. How do, how do, how does how does finances work from a student perspective? Yeah, so our, our primary goal has always been to um, to make the cost of attendance process as human as possible, I think in line with all of the other aspects of a, a holistic education. And so um, when students apply to Outer Coast, uh, their admissions process is entirely need blind. Um, and then upon admission, uh, we really uh, see the cost of attendance process as um, sort of a, 
a family or kinship affair, trying to bring in, um, uh, yeah, students and their families into this process of, of financing their Outer Coast education. And, um, and ultimately, we meet full financial need for all students um, through, um, through substantial uh, scholarships and grants. Um, and, uh, and we're able to do that because of the, the generous uh, philanthropic support that allows us to, to support students um, in, in paying their way for Outer Coast. So, um, yeah, and so we really, we really do mean that cost is, is not a barrier for any student to attend Outer Coast, either for the summer seminar um, or for the year, and that that, that actual cost is, is, um, is figured out in conversation with, um, mm. with our staff um, and, and students and their families. Yeah, that's remar- it's certainly that that's emerged also as an important commonality for many of these micro college projects, and certainly very similar to the way we've operated here too. And it's a it's a big commitment for an organization. It's it's a leap in the dark to say yes, we'll make it possible for you to come and somehow or some way. And uh, and I think that that, but I do think it's a core part of our mission. And and it seems like you know you've you've really you know, dived into that deeply as well. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time and for your work. And uh, it's really great to know that you're out there. And uh, so good luck with your, your plans for the future, for the spring and beyond. Thank you for spending some time with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Jacob. Good luck to you all, too. And I'm hopeful that we can, uh, we can convene in person before too long. Absolutely. Amen. All right. Have a good day. Thank you.